0: Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital
1: of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency.
0: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host.
2: I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy.
0: Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only
2: show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by Scott Wolf. He's the USC beat writer for the L.A. Daily News. We're going to discuss the latest on the O.J. Mayo scandal, where the one-and-done college basketball star reportedly accepted $30,000 in cash and gifts. Lots of people involved here. BDA Sports, a guy named Lewis Johnson who kind of ratted out O.J. Mayo and BDA Sports. And then Mike Garrett, USC's athletic director, after the Reggie Bush scandal. Now this one. What's going on with USC's athletic department? We'll talk about that in segment three. In Segment 4, sports Sense, Michael Colt. He is the Senior Vice President of Business Development for the surprising Tampa Bay Rays. He's been on this show before. He's really the guy charged with getting a new stadium built and financed in Tampa. We're going to talk about that with him in Segment 4. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the Sports Business Radio podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, Michael Colt definitely falls under the category of guy you've probably never heard of, but guy that you should know because he's a true power broker in the world of sports business. Not only is he working on this deal with the Rays in uh, Tampa, but he was instrumental in the financing of the Mets' new ballpark and the
1: Yankees' new ballpark in New York. Well, yeah, I mean, this guy is worth a ton of money right now, and this is actually... A, probably a pretty new field to get into considering all these new ballparks that are being built that are billions of dollars like Yankee Stadium. I mean, this isn't a bad line of work to get going into nowadays. Well, and the big question is, is it going to be privately financed
2: or publicly financed? In Tampa, they're asking for some public money, which is always a tough thing. We've seen the Sacramento Kings fail, the Seattle Sonics, the San Diego Chargers. The list goes on and on. Taxpayers are not wanting to foot the bill for these facilities anymore. So Tampa Bay has a little bit of a challenge in front of them, but uh, I think good things are on the horizon. Our friend Barry Bonds caught in the cross lights again. We're going to discuss that in our next segment, along with headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit SportsBusinessRadio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education.
0: This is Sports Business Radio.
2: It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one. After meeting with former Patriots video assistant Matt Walsh for more than three hours this week, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said no new information had come to light as a result and indicated that Spygate has run its course. Goodell said that he was told by Walsh that the Patriots did not have a videotape of a walkthrough practice of the St. Louis Rams before the 2002 Super Bowl. The Boston Herald had previously reported that such a tape existed. They apologized this week. And Goodell said Tuesday he was able to verify that there is no such tape. But Nathan, U.S. Senator Arlen Specter, who's been all over this from the beginning, said he wants an independent and partial investigation into the Patriots' illegal taping practices after meeting Tuesday with Matt Walsh. This, according to the Boston Globe, Specter stopped short of calling for a congressional investigation during his 35-minute press conference but hinted at the possibility of hearings. You know, I have to say... I'm in the Arlen Specter camp on this. I think there's something fishy going on, and I think it's a little bit odd that Matt Walsh meets with Goodell. Obviously, the NFL has a lot at stake if they got this one wrong, and now Matt Walsh is just going to go away right off into the sunset, and I don't want to throw out any wild theories here, but I wouldn't be surprised if one Mr. Walsh was Uh, greased on the way out the door to just keep his mouth shut for the rest of his life and not bring up Spygate anymore. See,
1: and I I disagree with you. I think this whole thing from the start has been blown out of proportion. I've said that since this happened. I think that... uh I think this thing, I hope it goes away. Now we've got U.S. senators, congressional hearings being talked about. This isn't steroids. This is cheating in football. I understand it's not right, but this is ridiculous that that even be mentioned, that there be congressional hearings. I understand the the, the legalities of it, but this thing's being blown out of proportion.
2: I do agree that there shouldn't be time wasted on
1: congressional hearings, but I agree with Spector that— I just don't, there's something fishy going on But why, you know, it's senators coming in, using their power in the Congress and the Senate to do investigations and waste tax money. This is ridiculous. Let it go away. Let's get back to football. For the
2: record, I don't think this is the last we've heard of it. Everyone says it is. Commissioner Goodell says this is the last we've heard of it. He wants this to be the last we've heard of it. I still think there's something weird going on somewhere. We'll see. LPGA player Annika Sorumstam, this week held a press conference to announce her retirement from golf effective at the end of the season. Sorenstam's last event on the tour will be the ADT Championship that's held November 20th through the 23rd at Trump International Golf Club in West Palm Beach. Now, Sorenstam has really had an amazing career and uh, she's won a number of majors. Many people consider her the greatest female golfer of all time. Golf isn't her only interest. She has academies. She has a number of other business interests. She's really the equivalent of Tiger Woods off the golf course. They're both represented by Mark Steinberg from IMG who's been on this show. I think this is a great move for Soren Stamp. She's 37. She's engaged. She wants to have a family. God bless her. Let her move on to her other business interests. She's had a successful career on the course. Nathan, another big pro-female athlete called it quits this
1: week. Yeah, Justine and the no- world number one tennis player on the women's side, decided to call it quits at the age of 25. You know, we see this happen quite a bit in tennis and individual sports like golf, where the pressure, you finally just burn out. We saw it happen with Bjorn Borg, who was one of the greatest tennis players of all time. I wasn't a huge Ennard-Den fan, but I always like to see young athletes continue to win tournaments and continue to push the envelope. Now, Maria Sharapova will move into the number one spot now that Ennard-Den is done, and abruptly, nonetheless. Really? She didn't finish the end of the season. really abruptly. Uh, She's won three of the four last
2: uh, last four French Opens. So, I mean, right before the French Open. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre on top.
1: It's very odd to me. I think there's something fishy there. Speaking of
2: female athletes, check out the cover of Sports Illustrated this week. Danica Patrick is gracing the cover. I'll tell you this. We've talked a lot on this show about Danica. She finally broke through and won a race a few weeks ago. If she wins the Indy 500, watch out. Then she is really going to explode. Uh, Bigger things in store than even the cover of Sports Illustrated. Curse of the cover, though, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Our next headline, USC and the L.A. Coliseum Commission this week signed off on their first long-term lease, one that will keep USC playing football at the Coliseum for at least the next 25 years. This is according to the L.A. Times. The 25-year deal can be extended to 47 years matching the commission's lease with the state, which owns the land on which the Coliseum sits. Now, under the deal, USC gets veto rights over an NFL team returning to the stadium, which means the school can ensure the seating capacity never drops below 90000 This is key. The deal also includes significant improvements to the Coliseum, including new video displays, concession areas, seating, drainage systems, locker rooms, elevators, if you've ever been to the Coliseum, which I went last last October, it is a dump. It is an absolute <laughs> outdated dump. So for them to sign a new 25-year lease, you would think again these
1: These renovations absolutely have to be made. Yeah, but here's the flip side. It may be a dump, but it's a legendary football stadium. I'm glad to see that USC is going to be there for another 25 years. You know, we've seen a lot of old classic stadiums being torn down around the country. Yankee Stadium obviously being one of the key stadiums. And so I think it's good that they're staying. I've never been there. I take your word that it's a dump, and uh, hopefully these renovations will help. Word to the wise, if you're going to USC
2: before these renovations, Use the restroom before you go watch the football game, and do not, under any circumstances, eat the concessions. Our next headline. The San Francisco Giants confirm rumors that managing general partner Peter McGowan may be looking to end his tenure. This according to the San Francisco Chronicle. He's 66 years old, and his run as general partner of the Giants may be done. Nathan, I say Good riddance. You turned a blind eye to Barry Bonds in the steroid era. You counted all your money. He was the uh the goose that laid the golden egg for you. And I think he, as much as anyone, is to blame for the steroid era in baseball.
1: Oh, I agree, and I find it very ironic that he's now checking out one year after Bonds broke the record. I agree with you. I think that good riddance to him. Let's get some new blood in there. Well, the san francisco giants owner and general partner wasn't the only
2: member of the giants this a former member of the giants in the news one barry lamar bonds is caught in the cross lights again
0: for an in-depth analysis of the week's pr nightmare sports business radio presents caught in the Cross cross lights
2: you know everyone's been talking about collusion team's are colluding and owners are colluding against signing Barry Bonds. But I've been saying, why would any team in their right mind sign Bonds because he's a one-man circus? He's got a huge ego and he's got lots of legal problems going on. Well, this week he was charged with 15 felony counts alleging he lied to a grand jury when he denied knowingly using performance-enhancing drugs uh, that he— And he hampered the federal government's doping investigation. So, basically, on Tuesday of this last week, the grand jury handed down a superseding indictment charging Bonds with these counts. And, you know, before it was like 4-1,
1: now it's 14-1, so he's in much bigger trouble today than he was a week ago. If there's one athlete that I want to see go to jail more than anybody, it's Barry Bonds. He needs to be responsible for what he did and he should go to jail. Well, the case against
2: Bonds, though, keep this in mind. It will go to trial. There will be a jury. Greg Anderson yeah. is not talking. Now, in the Roger Clemens uh, case, uh, Brian McNamee spoke, and he sang like a canary. As long as Greg Anderson keeps quiet, Barry Bonds has a chance here to maybe walk away from this thing. If not, Barry Bonds— Meet your new prison mate, Michael Vick. No, they won't be in the same prison, but again, we talked about this before. They've got to do a reality prison show. Vick, Clemens, Bonds. I like that one. Coming up next, Scott Wolf from the LA Daily News. We're going to talk about this OJ Mayo scandal. This comes on the heels of the Reggie Bush scandal a few years ago. What in the world is going on at USC? What is Mike Garrett doing as the athletic director at USC? We're going to discuss that with Scott Wolf coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back.
0: <laughs> or online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest
2: is Scott Wolf. He covers the USC Trojans for the LA Daily News. He's the author of the very popular Inside USC blog, which can be found online at InsideSoCal.com slash USC. Scott, thanks for taking time to join us on Sports Business Radio. No problem. So, O.J. Mayo has really pushed USC's basketball program to the forefront of the sports headlines over the past week. You know, I first saw Mayo as an 8th grader when he attended Nike's All-America Camp for the top high school players in the land. And even at that point, he had a lot of people who seemingly wanted a piece of him. Uh, Last week, allegations rose that Mayo accepted $30,000 in cash and gifts before signing with USC. This story's taken on a lot of twists and turns. You've covered it closely. What's the latest
4: well, you know, I think right now we're kind of waiting for the n c a a to send somebody out to start investigating um, Mayo's denied the charges um, he's got a guy who was close to him for the last year and a half named Lewis Johnson who met with the s p n and he has receipts that he showed and you know he also says he wants to write a book now and
2: jeez. Uh,
4: you know, the, the thing is none of us really know for sure what information he has or how legitimate it is. So it's kind of similar to the Reggie Bush case. Uh, no matter what you hear, you kind of have to wait for the NCA to do its work to know what's going to happen.
2: What's the relationship between Lewis Johnson and O.J. Mayo? I mean, obviously there must have been some sort of falling out if this guy's on ESPN now and talking about writing a book. Where did that go bad?
4: Well, they were – Pretty close for a year and a half, and Lewis Johnson hung around him at USC a lot and, you know, outside of USC. And he was with him on his official visit to USC when he was being recruited. And according to Lewis Johnson, the relationship fell apart a couple months ago because Rodney Gillery, who's the person accused of giving Mayo all this money, was jealous and felt threatened and started to cut Lewis Johnson out of the picture.
2: Interesting. Um, You know, I want to ask you about this. A lot of people kind of shook their head when O.J. Mayo chose USC because USC is not a a prominent basketball school. Yes, they have the new arena. Yes, Tim Floyd is the coach there now, but uh, they probably wouldn't make the top five of top basketball schools. So some people shook their head, and it almost seemed like, O.J. Mayo just landed on Tim Floyd's lap. Uh, Now, after hearing all this, it seems like it might have been much more uh, orchestrated than we were led to initially believe.
4: Well, even, you know, Tim Floyd said at the time he didn't have to do a whole lot of recruiting of O.J. Mayo because O.J. Mayo would call him and they would say not to call O.J., he'll call you. And he didn't uh, do a lot. He just kind of sat back and would, you know, hope that, OJ would make his visit, and he would call, and that he would actually show up like he was supposed to when he said he was going to, but, you know, I don't think there was any question Rodney Gillery being in Southern California was a driving force for him to come to USC, and I don't think he wanted to go to UCLA, because I think he wanted to go somewhere where he could be the focus of attention and the main guy and the star and you know, I don't think it hurt. USD had just built the Galen Center, its new arena, and was kind of a rising program. So, you know, I think it appealed to him for several reasons.
2: Hmm. Agent Bill Duffy, the head of BDA Sports, his name has been associated with payments made to Mayo. Mayo, ironically, signed with BDA Sports to represent him as an NBA player. As far as what you're hearing, how dirty are Duffy's hands? Are, or are they not dirty at all?
4: Well, if you listen to Duffy, you know, they're clean. And if you listen to Lewis Johnson, he gave about $200,000 to Rodney Guillory. So that's another one of those he said, he said cases. And, you know, those are pretty serious charges. And, you know, Duffy could face some uh, legal action if any of this stuff is proven. So, you know, it's a blow to his image right now because he represents guys like Carmelo Anthony and. You know, he's a big-time agent. so
2: Yeah, I spent a week with him last September in China, actually, uh, with Steve Nash and Yao Ming and Carmelo and um, some other players when they were doing some charity stuff. And, you know, as far as I can tell, Bill Duffy's always been uh, pretty above board, so this was a little bit surprising to me. You know, he's not guilty yet, but if this guy, Lewis Johnson, has receipts, like some people are claiming he does and like he's claimed he has, uh, like you said, I think it's certainly a blow to, to Duffy's image.
4: Yeah, you know, you remember Carmelo Anthony is the one who gave the Laker tickets to O.J. Mayo when he got in trouble for that. So, you know, there's definitely been a connection, it seems, to Bill Duffy, whether it was, you know, to the extent Lewis Johnson says no one knows right now. But it looks very suspicious at the very least.
2: We're joined by Scott Wolf. He covers the USC Trojans for the L.A. Daily News. You can also read his USC blog uh, online at InsideSoCal.com slash USC. Scott, what's the response been from the USC Athletic Department? I mean, you know, it wasn't so long ago they were going through these similar allegations with football player Reggie Bush. Now they have the O.J. Mayo allegation scaring them in the face. Uh, what's going on with Mike Garrett? I mean, is he... Uh, talking during this? Is he asleep at the wheel? Where is he on all this?
4: Uh, He gave a couple brief comments earlier in the week, but really didn't say much about it, and that's pretty much his style. He usually doesn't say a whole lot to the media, and he kind of stays out of it, but you know, people I've talked to are surprised and shocked, and I've talked to some people in the basketball program who've said they were shocked, so... You know, it's, it just depends on uh, who you talk to. But I think it's a lot like the Reggie Bush situation. You know, a lot of people were stunned when the news broke. And, you know, they don't know what the facts are. And I think they're worried about, you know, the possible ramifications. But then again, I think you'll find people that will say it'll blow over. And they'll probably point to the Bush case and say, look, it's two years down the road. and Nothing's happened yet. So you know it's hard to really predict what the ncaa is going to do because they're such a kind of fickle organization when it comes to levying penalties and
2: especially against schools like usc that are cash cows for them
4: yeah well that's true but you know at the same time they have you know uh, reduced scholarships in the past for usc and they did put the football program on probation about 25 years ago so you know, it's just hard to really know what's going to happen. I don't think they'll do anything super drastic, but, you know, there there is that threat that they're going to do something.
2: So let me ask you this, Scott. I mean, you mentioned there were some shocked and surprised people in the athletic department. I mean, I was down there in October, uh, spent some time with Pete Carroll and some other people in the athletic department, and, you know, top-notch quality people, top of their profession. Um, is this about they really are shocked and surprised because they don't know what's going on? Or is it just a matter of, you know what, we have so many guys on these teams, we can't keep track of their activities and who they're talking to and maybe accepting money from and what their activities are on a 24-7 basis? Which one is it, do you think?
4: Well, I don't think there's any question at a place like USC that you can't monitor the number of athletes they have 24 hours a day and you're in the media spotlight, you're in a huge city with – a lot of people who want to be part of the program and people who have a lot of money to offer big-time athletes. So it's not like being in Kansas or some places of that nature. So there are a lot more pitfalls out there. At the same time, you know, it would be naive to say that, you know, somebody shouldn't have told Rodney Guillory not to hang around or maybe told Mayo he couldn't have Rodney Guillory hanging around because – In the past, he had been implicated by the NCAA of providing illegal benefits to athletes. So, you know, it's a tough situation, but, you know, I think they could have done a little more in this case at least.
2: So tough question for you here, but try and look into your crystal ball. I mean, I know we're awaiting the NCAA investigation, which who knows when that thing could start and end. But uh, looking into your crystal ball, how do you see this shaking out at the end of the day for, not only for USC, but for Mayo and for Bill Duffy, some of the the prime characters involved in this?
4: Well, I think Mayo, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot to worry about because he's going pro, and he's probably going to be a top 10 pick in the draft, and, you know, he'll get on with his life. His image will take a little bit of a hit, probably, but, you know, he's probably got the least to worry about, but... um, at the same time, I don't think at this point, um, you know, USC would be looking at anything. I know some pe- columnists have written about the death penalty and stuff like that. I think that's a little severe right now. And, you know, I could see them, if this stuff's proven, you know, the NCAA might, you know, forfeit their games from last season or do something of that nature. And, but right now I would say, you know, it's, it's so early we don't know. But I, I wouldn't think it would be a severe penalty at this point.
2: Has Mike Garrett got a good hold on what's going on with his teams, or uh, do you think maybe uh, his position needs to be reevaluated? I mean, look, this is two high profile major scandals at a major university in the last few years. And to the outsider, it looks like maybe he's lost control. Does his position need to be reevaluated?
4: I definitely think he needs to be scrutinized more because of this. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's pretty secure right now based on the success of the football program and, to a lesser extent, the basketball program. And he's also got a close relationship with the school president, Stephen Sample. So, although I think, you know, he does deserve to be scrutinized more and there should be more of a spotlight and he needs to be more accountable for all this, I don't think at this point the university has shown any signs that they're going to do anything to him. Hmm.
2: Well, Scott, we really appreciate you making the time to join us here on Sports Business Radio. Scott Wolf, he covers the USC Trojans for the L.A. Daily News. Check him out online, his popular blog, InsideSoCal.com slash USC. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime age beef, fresh seafood, hand picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of sports business Radio.
0: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.
2: My guest is Michael Colt. He's the Senior Vice President of Development and Business Affairs for the Tampa Bay Rays. Michael's joined us on the show before. Michael, uh, thanks for taking the time.
3: No problem. Happy to be here.
2: So, the Rays are really one of the incredible surprises in Major League Baseball so far this season. Uh, you know, the team's been in first place in the tough AL East in front of teams with some of the biggest payrolls in baseball, the Yankees, the Red Sox. What's been the recipe for success for the team so far? I know you're more focused on off the field, not on the field, but as someone who's part of the organization, uh, what's working for you so far?
3: Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really been the, you know, the, the, the payoff of the philosophy that, that Andrew and and our baseball ops people have been preaching for the last couple of years, which is patience and developing from within and you know making targeted investments in the right place. and uh, you know so far so good we're you know we're we're very happy with the results, but it's a long season, so we're not going to get uh, too cocky yet.
2: How's the success uh, translated at the box office with ticket sales? I've been to games there before at the Trop, and it's no secret that, you know, the attendance has been down in, in recent years, but it seems like since new ownership took over, uh, you've been trending in this direction. Now that the team's literally sitting atop the standings in the AL East, uh, has that translated at the box office? You know, it hasn't
3: really yet, but, you know, it's, it, you know you can't expect that to happen overnight. You know, it's, like I said, we're only a quarter away into the season, so... You know, we're expecting that if we keep this up, we'll we'll see some real uh, demonstrable increases at the box office. But so far, it really hasn't had much of an impact.
2: Michael, we have an audience around the country. For people not familiar with Tampa Bay and the demographics of that city, who's your target audience? Who's your sports fan? Who's the average person that's coming to your games?
1: Well,
3: uh, you know, it basically fits into two categories. Part of it is, uh, you know, families with young kids, and then you know we get a decent chunk of uh, you know folks who are you know retirees, older folks, those sorts. But you know, really, our target audience is everyone, and, and the issue is less of a demographic one than a regional one. It's trying to reach out uh, and build on a very strong base, fan base here in St. Pete and South Dade County, and really translate that you know first across the bay, but you know eventually into the whole region over to Orlando and and down to uh, down to uh, down to Fort Myers. Are
2: you doing marketing, uh, you know, to those areas outside of your own uh, immediate region?
3: Well, I mean, we've the two biggest things we're doing is to the east. We've played games at Disney uh, the last couple of years, trying to build a fan base in Orlando and really build that as a TV market. We don't think folks are going to regularly you know, make the trip over here, uh, particularly midweek. But you know, it's obviously a very, very big TV market, and we'd love to cultivate it. Um, And then down south, it was really one of the big uh, influences in our decision to go and move spring training down to Port Charlotte next year, which is about an hour and 15 minutes south of here.
2: You know, one of the big stories, I think the story of the young baseball season, the two Florida teams, the Rays and the Marlins, two teams with uh, not substantial payrolls. The Marlins have the lowest payroll in baseball. I talk about all the time on the show how Alex Rodriguez makes more by himself this season than the entire payroll of the Marlins. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, look, the Marlins, the Oakland A's, the Minnesota Twins, you guys, some really uh, low payroll teams are very, very competitive this year.
3: You know, at the end of the day, you know, baseball's a funny sport, and sometimes you you put a lot of money in and you don't get the results, and sometimes you make the right targeted investments, and you do, and, um, you know, I can't speak for the other folks, but I mean, it's definitely a model that, uh, you know, more of necessity than by choice, but, you try to you try to get the most out of what you have and your resources, that's certainly the model we're trying to follow. and uh, it's obviously paid off so far for us. and you know we're for for the for the lower market teams to be uh, sticking it a little bit to the big guys early in the season is certainly something that we're happy to see.
2: We're joined by Michael Colt. He's the senior Vice President of Development and Business Affairs for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Michael, explain your job. I know one of your main jobs is working on a new ballpark for the Rays. But for our listeners out there, can you explain exactly what you're doing on a day-to-day basis?
3: Well, day-to-day basis lately, it's basically been working on a new ballpark. Uh, Generally, it's business development in general. So it's uh, been heavily involved with building a new spring training facility down in Port Charlotte, uh, looking at our TV deal, looking at trying to expand the market through strategic investments and strategic partnerships like we did with Disney. But um, the ballpark has been a very big chunk of what I've been doing the last six months.
2: Now, you aren't going to toot your own horn, so let me toot it for you. Uh, Michael was really the guy driving the new stadium deals in New York with the Mets and the Yankees. So you've been down this road before. How does this project compare to those?
3: Well, first of all, I'd say a lot of people uh, could take credit for that. I was on the city end, but there are a lot of people who put the Mets and the Yankees and on the other side of that who worked very hard getting those deals done and you know, or have some two brand-new stadiums that are going to hopefully open next year and be tremendous successes up there. So I don't want to take too much credit for that. But, uh, you know, every place is different. I mean, at the base of these things, they're, you know, just large-scale development projects. And, uh, you know, anyone who's in real estate development will tell you you move 15 miles down the road into a different jurisdiction and you have a whole different set of issues. So, um, you know, part of it is the same in the sense that you have to, you know, justify the investment both from the private and the public side um, part of it's different. Obviously, New York uh, is a much different political climate than St. Pete, um, for better and for worse. I mean, uh, it's a little bit bigger, it's a little bit more complex. But at the same time, uh, everything you do on a ballpark project doesn't quite garner the same amount of attention as it would in the smaller city like it does down here. Um, so probably the biggest difference is down here. We need a public referendum for the project to go forward. And that brings a whole new set of uh, complications and complexities with it.
2: How's that been received? I mean, you know, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and I've watched closely the Seattle Sonic situation. Different sport, but another instance where people are asking for taxpayer money hasn't gone over well. In California, the Kings, the Chargers, they've asked for taxpayer money hasn't gone over well. How's it going over there in uh, Florida?
3: Well, first of all, we're we're trying to we're trying to come up to get, come up with a financing plan where we're not really asking for taxpayer money. One of the advantages we have over. Other teams is that we're sitting on a very very large site where the trop is currently located, and we think uh, we put together a plan where we can pay for this uh, that not only doesn't ask taxpayer money but it also generates revenue right off the bat because of the value of the site we're currently sitting on and the development potential it has um, you know, I think it's you know you have a similar hurdle to jump over in all these deals, which is you know the the public skepticism about putting any dollars, whether it's uh, you know incremental or or new into uh, a facility that's benefiting a private enterprise, and I wouldn't say it's just about sports franchises; it's about any sort of business uh, development uh, money that goes, comes from the public anywhere. Um, you know, I think we're you know we're we're going through a very long and expensive public process where we're basically presenting the the facts as we know them and ultimately letting the public decide. So you know, it's it certainly is not the easiest process to go through, but we think there's a lot of value to it, and at the end of the day, we think we have a the makings of a project that can really be tremendous for the city and for the county. And, you know, of course, for us as a, as, as a baseball team.
2: How far along are you in this process? I mean, in a perfect world, when do you get this ballpark built and when does it open?
3: Perfect world, we'd be on the ballot for a referendum in November and uh, hopefully in the ground sometime middle of next summer and opening in 2012. Uh, We're about halfway through sort of a year long outreach process. We uh, announced the project last November um, we're today actually uh, going to present to the St. Pete City Council a financing plan for the project that we think works and that we can use as a basis for coming up with a more detailed agreement um, if uh, they think it forms a good basis for, for an agreement that everyone could, can live with and sees value. And then hopefully they vote to put that in the ballot and ultimately be up to the voters in November to decide whether or not the project goes forward.
2: I've seen some of the renderings for the proposed ballpark. It looks really cool. Would you mind sharing some of maybe the major features of this new park?
3: well the the biggest feature in the and the the real sort of um, design inspiration behind it was really to build a glorified spring training ballpark um, you know one of the issues that we we think has uh, made baseball less successful at the major league level than it otherwise could have been in the state of Florida so far is about how the two venues don't really show off what's great and what historically has been terrific about baseball in the state, which is you know that sense of intimacy and being outdoors and really um uh, connecting with the players on a one-to-one level that you had in the state historically for 70 or 80 years before Major League Baseball came here on a regular season basis. Mm-hmm. And so what Stu and, and the rest of us uh, sat down and thought about how to plan this park, particularly since we were building on the Outline Field site, which is the historical home of spring training, um, the first thing we did was to charge HOK with with you know the goal of, Give us a glorified spring training park. Give, give us something that we can sell to people as spring training doesn't have to end in, in March. It can Basically, you can get that feel of intimacy in the state and really harken all the things that are great about baseball in Florida historically all year round. And so um, it's a 34,000-seat open-air ballpark on the waterfront on a site that's very similar to, to, uh, to Pac Bell or at and Park. And um, the difference is it's, it's open-air. It um, has the smallest upper deck in, in uh, Major League Baseball. It'll be about 10,000 seats. The difference is, is that it has a roof cover that's it's hard to explain on the radio, but it's a uh, an arch that rings the back half of the building in a mass that sits in left center field with cables that suspend between the two. Wow. To pull forward like a giant umbrella, basically, to provide rain protection, but also to provide protection from the heat because it will shade the facility during the day. So, uh, you know, we think it's a really, really cool design, but we're looking for something that's really that iconic building, kind of the Sydney Opera House of the Tampa Bay area, that can kind of stamp an identity not only on the team but on the region also. And uh, we're pretty excited about the design. So uh, All all the images, I'm going to put my shameless pitch in for Please. our website, com and all the images are on there. Folks are interested in seeing it.
2: You know, 34,000 seats, would that make it the smallest ballpark in Major League Baseball?
3: It would. Um, I believe the, the A's plans for Fremont are roughly 32,000 seats, so depending on... Uh, who opens when, uh, they they can, they can outsmall us, I guess. But, uh, but uh, it would be, among current stadiums, the smallest ballpark in baseball.
2: See, now, I've been saying this for years, and I want to get your take on this. I've been saying the day is going to come, and I think it's now coming, uh, when – we're going to build smaller, more intimate venues, and we're going to charge more money for that intimacy. Uh, do you think that's what you're doing here? That's what they've done at Pac Bell, maybe some other places, where you're not building these 65, 70,000-seat stadiums where there's a ton of empty seats?
3: Well, I think it's two things that are really driving it. The first is that um, you know, there's a sense that, except in a, in a very small number of markets, um, you know, the demand just isn't there for 55, 60,000 seats, 81 times a year, and, you know, those capacities in some ways were driven by the fact that in the 60s and 70s you had multipurpose venues that were also being used for football. Um, You know, there's also a financial uh, reason behind it, too, which is, you know, unlike almost everything else in real estate, when you're building a ballpark, those last 10,000 seats are the most expensive to build, and you're getting the the least amount of value from them. You know, they're high up in the air, they require steel, they're all the way down the lines in the upper deck, Um, and really the difference between a 34,000 seat ballpark and a 40,000 seat ballpark or 42 is those last three or four sections in the outfield down the lines in the upper deck, and those are really expensive. And you're selling them to build, and you're selling it the least amount of time. And when you do, you're selling it for the lowest ticket price. And you know, if you want to provide people with a low price point, there are easier ways to do it that are less expensive. You know, a, you know the, the Padres do a five or a seven dollar berm seat, things like that, which you know is a lot less expensive, gives people a better environment, doesn't create this big hulking building that's you know ultimately more costly to build. So. Um, I, I totally agree. I think that is the model that's being followed. It certainly, I would give the Pirates kind of the credit for really taking it to the next level when they built TNC. And obviously, the A's feel pretty strongly about it as well with their design for Fremont.
2: We've got just a few minutes left with Michael Colt. He's the Senior Vice President of Development and Business Affairs for the Tampa Bay Rays here on Sports Business Radio. Uh, Michael, I saw that you just signed uh, Scott Kazmir, your star pitcher, to a new contract this week. I also saw you traded Delman Young away. Last season, it looks like new ownership since they've come in has really put a priority on character. Uh, maybe you can talk about that a little bit.
3: Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions on Dumb. I mean, he's a great player, and he's going to have a great career in Minnesota. And frankly, you know, we wish him all the best. Uh, you know, for us, it was about you know making the moves that we think you know give us depth in areas we needed it, and and uh, traded from from you know places that we already had depth. And I think that was really the. The, the impetus behind the behind the Delmon deal, and obviously Andrew could elaborate on a little bit more. But uh, you know, we think we've gotten good payoff, particularly in terms of what what uh, Jason Bartlett's presence on the team has done to our infield defense. Um, you know, in terms of Kaz, obviously, you know it's a uh, it's a very big investment for us. But you know, anyone who's seen Scott Kazmier pitch knows that uh, hopefully it'll be more than more than worth it. He's uh, he's one of the most exciting young pitchers in baseball, and uh, you know the opportunity to lock him up for for a few years beyond his free aging years and And uh, feel good about him pitching in Tampa Bay and and ultimately, hopefully, pitching some real meaningful games in October was uh, too good to pass up.
2: Well, and two players on your team that I think have made a huge impact already. One... James Shields. I mean, you know, you mentioned James Shields, and most people are like, "Who?" This guy's pitched really, really outstanding for you so far this year, and also last year. And then Troy Percival comes in. I mean, you get him off the scrap heap; he was retired. Look at the impact he's had, not only on the field but uh, in the clubhouse as well. I think he fits your team very well.
3: Yeah, and and the thing that I think sometimes people don't recognize about about particularly James Shields is he's not only a great a great. Ballplayer, he's you know he's a, he's just a workhorse of a pitcher, and has just been tremendous for us the last few years. Um, he's just been, you know a tremendous guy in the community. Always wanted to go out, do community events, those sorts of things, and you know that matters when you're trying to to rebuild the image of a team and uh, you know make the community feel like uh, the team cares about them and that they need to care about the the ball club. It, it matters having guys on your squad who who are who are willing to do that, and uh, you know James is just you know tremendous in that, and you know anyone who looks at our bullpen, it's pretty obvious the. Uh, the impact that, that that Percy's had on our team, both, you know, in the clubhouse but also obviously on the field as well. So, you know, it's 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 been a very good run for us so far. Hopefully we can keep it up.
2: Well I'm excited to watch the Rays the rest of the way. Michael, I appreciate you taking time. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere for the Mortons nearest you Go online to mortons.com. Again, Michael, uh, very interested to follow what you have going on there in Tampa, on the field and off, and uh, would love to have you on the show again in the future. Anytime, Brad. Thank you, Michael. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.
0: The website is sportsbusinessradio.com.
2: Back for our final segment on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Gatorade this week announced it to sign a multi-year endorsement deal with Chargers running back LaDainian Tomlinson. Tomlinson was scheduled to participate in his first Gatorade event This week in San Diego. It was a kickoff for the Gatorade Tiger Moonshot Challenge. Tomlinson was going to take part in the long drive competition. Now, Nathan, Tomlinson's list of endorsers is growing. Nike, Campbell's Chunky Soup, Vizio, a few others. Now Gatorade. Uh, You know, Here's a guy based in San Diego. Big market, but not a mega market. But because he's such an exciting player. And I really think that Spark ad where he was kind of the featured athlete in it, I think it helped him... Uh, get this deal, quite frankly.
1: Well, and I think he fits the Gatorade brand. I mean, he's a good guy on and off the field. If you look at the athletes that Gatorade has, Tiger Woods, you know, the Mannings, and now Tomlinson, he fits that mold, and that's what they look for. They look for class acts on and off the field, and I think he's a good fit for Gatorade. I gotta just say this. It's a weird analogy, but I gotta say it. When I watch Chris Paul
2: play basketball, He looks like LaDainian Tomlinson as a basketball player. He's got, like, a next gear, and he's so shifty back and forth with his lateral movement. I swear to you, if LaDainian Tomlinson was a basketball player, he'd be Chris Paul and vice versa. Really uh, eerie, but I thought I'd throw that out there. New Balance. His team was Sesame Street on a co-branded collection of children's shoes. It's going to debut in July. Keep your eyes on that. As a father of a three-year-old, I might have to check out some New Balance Sesame Street shoes. Lots of thank yous on the show this week. Michael Colt from the Tampa Bay Rays. Scott Wolf from the LA Daily News. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's the Steakhouse the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio.